only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. This is found on page 949. It begins on the bottom of page 949 in the Blue Pew Bible. Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. Hear the word of the Lord. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. want to encourage you uh, to take note, I know you've already seen it, but the 30 days of prayer that begins in November, and especially the emphasis that we're going to have as well on the persecuted church on November 13th, that Sunday. But you'll see on one of the back pages, uh, the invisible workers. Those are people found in different parts of the world uh, who, for security reasons, can't say where they are. You can't say their last names even. Uh, but they're there uh, as well as the mention at the bottom of that page to pray for the persecuted church. But you'll see uh, every day different aspects that are laid out for prayer. And uh, hopefully this won't just be, you know, pray for missions November, you don't have to do that till next November, you know. Uh, but it can be a kind of training and informing you of the kinds of things to pray. And perhaps certain ones of these will stay on your heart to continue to pray for them. Uh, you could take this out for many months of the year, of course, use it as a regular thing. Uh, but just to encourage you along those lines to use this great instrument for prayer. Also, just as you notice the insert about the reformational perspective 
on justification and sanctification. Uh, don't ignore that. It's an excellent little piece that includes a, a nice chunk of the Heidelberg Confession and what it says on those topics, as well as what you see in our own uh, bulletin. Uh, that statement, for instance, on page 5 about Christ, that's one of the most comprehensive uh, accounts, isn't it? Short but comprehensive accounts of all that Christ accomplished for us from his incarnation to the final restoration of creation. And those are the kinds of things to keep in mind as you praise him for what he's done for you, as you pray for his work in your life, uh, that you keep all of these wonderful uh, aspects of his work uh, in mind. So these are uh, helpful tools for you to uh, encourage you in your walk in Christ and to encourage you in your prayers and praises. Uh, let's pray then as we come to his word. Lord, we have been given such a precious thing in your word, so precious that you moved the apostles to write that you have preserved it for us, that you've put it in our own language, that you've given us so many study helps, so many mighty shoulders upon which to stand, to learn your word, to grow in your grace. But think of all that you have done, Lord, by your mighty power to afford us the tremendous, amazing privilege of your word. Oh, Lord, we're among the blessed people of the earth. Throughout history and, and even around the world, we're, we're just the blessed people upon earth that you've given us this word. Lord, may we, may we joyfully receive this privilege. May we give ourselves constantly to it as we have opportunity. May we develop a desire, a hunger for it. May it be true of us, as, it, as the psalmist says, my heart is crushed with longing for your word at all times. Or how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Lord, may these not be just statements that we read and either feel guilty because we're not that way, feel put off, shut out, because we don't have that kind of love, don't know what he's even talking about. But Lord, that these can become the very prayers that we pray to you, the very expectation that to see that your salvation embraces this kind of relationship to your word, that your changing of us, you're working with our very desires and motives and disciplines means that we can and will be people of the word. Not just some of us, but all of us, all down to the every last person who confesses Christ to, to be men and women and boys and girls of the Word. Oh, Lord, we, we would expect this from the Lord Jesus because He died so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness. And it means that the Word of Christ must richly dwell within us if this is to happen. And so, Lord... Continue your salvation in us to give us these hearts for your word. Bless us even now as we come to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's words here 
as he begins this section, verse 14, are a little surprising because you'd think, being the Apostle Paul, seeing visions that no one else has seen in the whole history of the world, as he expresses those in Corinthians, to be the very chosen apostle to the Gentiles, that he would write this letter and and just say, and by the way, I'm the Apostle Paul, and you better listen to what I say. No, you just think that it would say that. But you get a completely different feel in these first couple of verses of the, not necessarily hesitancy, but the carefulness and the wisdom and the grace with which he speaks to this this church that he's never visited. And so our, our first point this morning is the carefulness of being an instrument of God, the carefulness of being an instrument of God. He is aware that, as opposed to other churches that he's written, uh, to whom he's written, he has not visited this church. And though he has a certain reputation as the apostle to the Gentiles, they don't really know him. And so he first says, look, I understand that you yourselves have such goodness and knowledge that you're able to instruct one another and you don't really need me so much to do that. That's how much he's putting in their uh, camp in that in verse 14. Because he has been instructing them and he even says, on some points I've written to you very boldly, and he's probably talking about what he said in chapters 14 and 15 about uh, the weak and the strong, because he, he spoke very boldly and, and very pointedly uh, to them on those, those points of, of their regard for one another. But he, and he, he says, I do this, notice, by way of reminder. It's not as though you don't know these things or haven't heard these things. I'm not saying as though you're just completely ignorant, you're, you're lost, you know, blank slate, and I come in. He says, it's, it's by way of reminder that I say these things. And I, and I realize I have been bold in, in the way I've spoken to you. Perhaps it would seem a little too bold given that we don't have a relationship. See the carefulness and, and grace of how he, he talks to them. And then he says, but I do this because of the grace given to me by God. Even as he's talking about why he has authority, he points to, look, I I was lost. I I was undone. Grace has been shown to me. It's only grace that's been shown. And there's a a sola gratia right there, right? Uh, Sola gratia. It's grace alone. And he points not so much to what he is, but what God has done to bring him to himself and to make him a minister of the gospel. So in this, Paul is being so gracious, so kind-hearted, and and so wise in the way he's speaking, even though he has all authority to say anything. He's that aware of how he should come across to them, how he should speak to them, so aware of the intricacies of their relationship so that he can have the most persuasive manner with them. Those are all godly, holy things, to be wise in our speech. In our Sunday school class this morning, we actually studied a portion in Philippians 1 where he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more 
in all knowledge and discernment. Interesting. Not in that case, not so much in your affection or whatever, but your knowledge and discernment that you may abound in how to love, how to speak to one another, how to deal with one another, to have the wisdom and humility and kindness to have regard for one another so that you're loving each other in the very best way. A, a striking example of the carefulness of being an instrument of God that even the authoritative apostle Paul uses here or shows. And we get a lot of this feel from Proverbs in the use of the tongue, the use of words. Uh, when, when in Proverbs ten nineteen it says, when, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. <laughs> That's just a good one right there, isn't it? A lot of words, eh, probably some sin involved when <laughs> there are a lot of words. Just because we, we tend to sin so quickly and easily with our words. It says in Proverbs 10, 32, uh, that the, the righteous knows what is acceptable in his speech. Understanding what is acceptable. Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says the righteous ponders how to answer. You see this in Paul here, don't you? Pondering, thinking through, knowing the situation. How do I need to speak to them? How do I need to communicate to these people that I don't haven't even met yet? Proverbs 13.3 talks about one guarding his mouth. And I love Proverbs 15.23. It says that an apt answer brings joy. And uh, a, good, a seasoned word, how good it is. A, a word spoken in season. Words spoken in the right way, in the right manner, at the right time. How good is that, Proverbs says. So, to love with discernment and knowledge, it means, I think, above all, there's a humility. You see that in Paul, a humility in understanding where somebody's coming from and how to love them, in the best, not, not just barreling over and, and claiming rights, saying what you want to say, saying how you feel all the time, that kind of stuff but using your words in the very best way. In Proverbs 16, 21, this is a a sweet one. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So, Paul knows sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. And he wants to be persuasive because he knows I'm speaking the gospel. I'm speaking the truth. So I don't want my manner to stand in the way of that gospel. I I want my manner to be appropriate so that the gospel gets its full hearing in the best way possible uh, with those that I'm speaking to. Proverbs 16.23 says, The wise makes his speech judicious. Literally, it says, he guides his mouth or instructs his mouth. So I like that, guiding the mouth instead of the mouth just out there on its own, right? So he makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. And the next verse, 1624, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And so... 
Paul in Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it may give grace to those that hear. There's a text to memorize, Ephesians 4.29. No unwholesome word proceeding, only words that build up according to the need of the moment, which must be discerned, right? So that it may give grace to those that hear. And I think there he's talking about the very grace of God that is communicated to one another. We have that wonderful privilege to extend the grace of God through the way we speak to one another. So the carefulness of being an instrument of God. We also have here the wonder of being an offering to God. The carefulness of being an instrument of God, the wonder of being an offering of God. Interestingly, Paul describes his ministry of the gospel in terms of the Old Testament sacrifice. Now, it doesn't mean that literally he's making people a sacrifice in any way, and certainly not a sacrifice in the sense that they would atone for sins, anything of this sort. But it's a, it's a metaphor, it's, it's a way to think about what is happening in this gospel ministry. And it also shows that there's a parallel to the Old Testament sacrifice. Now that Christ has made the complete sacrifice there still remains a kind of sacrifice as we give up ourselves to God, as he says in Romans 12, 1, uh, as we give praises to God, as Hebrews 13, 15, as we do good works and, and love to God, that, that's a laying out of ourselves, a giving ourselves up to God, to his will. So there's that aspect of our, our sacrifice. But here... He says in verse 16, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is an amazing statement given where Paul began in Romans talking about the Gentiles. What in a pretty picture, right? Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he begins to talk about how the Gentiles have committed heinous idolatry by turning away from God and exalting the creation in place of the Creator. And then how God gave them over to the, their various lusts and passions. And then he goes on to talk about how he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And no wonder that the, Gentile, the, uh, the Jews had a court reserved, even for the religious Gentiles, so that they could worship at a distance. Get to feel, you know, you, you, you guys, you guys stay, stay out there, you know. Stay not, not holy and closed in with God like we are, our circumcised ones. 
but y'all, y'all stay, keep a safe distance because, man, if you, you people, even you religious ones, even you who say you fear God, if you were to walk any closer, this whole place would just be trashed. You know, that's the feel of it. These Gentiles, these Gentiles, you and me Gentiles, right? Because this description in Romans 1 embraces all of us. We don't stand outside of that and say, oh, God, look, those, those people, those people. No, us people, we, this is, this is a description of you and me, every single one of us. We're included in this. And yet, here in Romans 15, Paul says, those very Gentiles are now in the holiest, most pure, blameless position of being offered up to God, an acceptable offering to God. And you think, how in the world did that happen? How in the world? Gentiles with the wrath of God upon them, Gentiles excluded from the people of God, and now they're in the center place. They're the holy objects being offered up to God with whom He is pleased. It's a wonderful statement of the amazing work of Jesus Christ to make us acceptable in the presence of God. It's an amazing statement of how we have the righteousness of Christ. And it's so amazing because in Ephesians 5, 2, we we read that Christ made himself an offering to God And here, the same word is used of us that we are an offering to God. Now, of course, He's an offering of God to win our salvation and to pay for our sins. But in His offering, we are made an acceptable offering. And if you don't understand how amazing that is, it may be because you don't understand how serious your sin is. You know, we... God is the kind of God who would, loves even his enemies. There's nobody in here that grew up as a child, as a teenager, loving all your enemies. None of you did. None of you came close to that. You hated even your friends, much less your enemies. You hated your own brothers and sisters and mistreated them at times and your own parents. Much less love your enemies. We don't know what that is to love our enemies. And so we come before a God who looks at our lovelessness and it's infinitely, it's an infinite offense to his holy nature because he's a God of such pure love. And when he looks upon us and sees how full of ourselves we are, how true little sacrificial love is in our hearts for anybody. It's an infinite offense to him. And yet, in Jesus Christ, we are made acceptable sacrifices to God. It shows that, as we even read in our uh, confessions and readings that all of our sins have been paid for. Jesus Christ has borne the punishment for those sins. There is now, 
Though the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men, we read later in Romans 8, 1, amazingly, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That condemnation that is declared in Romans 1, 18, now in Romans 8, 1, there's none, none for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, as the writer of Hebrews says, we come into the presence of God with boldness and confidence. Not in anything that we've done, but confidence in the amazing accomplishment of God in Jesus Christ. And that God has freely invited us to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And we know that is the only hope that we have. That that Jesus Christ will take away our sins. Because, as we read in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What have you earned? You want to earn something with your works? (laughs) You want to try to earn acceptance? Yeah, here's the wage you and I will get. It's death, except for what Christ has accomplished. And then there's another aspect of this, though, that's really underscored in this passage. As he says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And this most likely is what we call... definitive sanctification, or you might say a defining or redefining sanctification. It's the initial change that occurs in our our lives, uh, that we become those who were oriented against God, and now through His mighty work of the Spirit, we are oriented toward God. Not perfectly, but substantially, there's a change in our lives substantially because we have trusted in Christ, part of that trust is entrusting ourselves to Him as we never had before. And so it's called a sanctified... For instance, in 1 Corinthians 6.11, he says, such were some of you... He's listed some things that if we practice those things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you. It's not that you haven't been this way. Yes, all of you. Such such are some of you. But you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. And that's kind of unusual because we think of sanctification, which is defined as being made more and more like Christ. We think of that as only a process, but there's this definitive initial action of God by which Paul can say, you've been sanctified. It's happened in your life. You've had this basic reorientation of your life. And that basic reorientation of being one who longs for Christ, who trusts Christ, who's growing in Christ, that makes you, as, as, that's as well a part of you now being an acceptable offering to God. Which means, as, and I love this uh, section of our confession where it says that none of our good works, nothing that we do is perfect in itself. We always have mixed motives. We always have things that aren't altogether right in everything we do and say. But it says, not only are ourselves made righteous before God, but our good works are accepted in Christ as well. Isn't that wonderful? That the feeble efforts that we have that aren't perfect in and of themselves still are made acceptable through the work of Jesus Christ so that the whole of my life can be this offering up to God. 
and knowing that it's acceptable because he takes up all that is lacking in what I am and do and he makes it acceptable because I'm united to him. What a glorious thing that we are brought into his presence in this way. And and this raises that, uh, brings to mind uh, another slogan of the Reformation, which was the priesthood of all believers. That it's not divided any longer as the church wrongly held, that the, the priesthood is part of the holy, holy ones that are really close to God and everybody else just going to have to fend for themselves more or less. There's actually a painting of a ship that represents salvation and the church. And in this ship, you had popes and cardinals hanging on in the ship or in the water near the ship, even were some of the priests, okay? So that's a little iffy if you're just a priest and not one of the higher people. But the people of God, the regular God, they're just out in the ocean, headed for purgatory, you know. I heard recently someone talking about uh, a person uh, who is from that persuasion saying, uh, I'm, I'm hoping for my works. I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm just glad there's a purgatory. Glad there's a place where you can suffer for tens of thousands of years or whoever knows how long and finally get to heaven. What does that say about the finished work of Jesus? What does that say about all your sins are taken away in Christ? Not such a good job, right? We got to pay for it ourselves. Still, no, no, it's Christ alone and he pays for all sin and We all are brought into the holy place. We all are priests. We all are wonderful offerings given up to God and made acceptable in Christ. View yourself in that way. See yourself as one of the the Gentiles of chapter 1, and now you're a wonderful offering given up to God. That's your new definition. That's your new change that God has brought about in in, in your life. And so Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 and 10, do you not, uh, 19 and 20, I'm sorry, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You see, the strength of glorifying God in your body is to know I'm now a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm now an offering to God. Look what I am by God's grace. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to God. Thank you, God, that I belong to you and I don't belong to this world anymore. I don't belong to sin. I don't belong to Satan. And and when we all need to say that to ourselves a lot, because we're still struggling with sin, we're still struggling with who we have been for our life, our whole life. Well, this is who you are. You're an offering to God. You, you are owned by the Spirit. You're a temple of the living God. And the temple in the Old Testament was the place where when God first came into the temple, they couldn't stand it. It was so glorious. That's the place of the outshining of His glory. You are the place of the outshining of God's glory. Absolutely, you're the place of the outshining of God's glory in this world. And that's why he says in Philippians 2, you shine like stars in the darkness. That's who you are. Because he has redeemed you. The wonder of being an offering. 
to God. And, and following from that, the encouragement of the power of God. The encouragement of the power of God. As he talks about this power in verses uh, 18 and following, he says, I will venture, uh, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And I particularly want to zero in on the bringing the Gentiles, Gentiles to obedience by the power of the Spirit of God. Okay? And that we, by the grace of God, are being brought to this obedience by the power of God. He spoke of this same thing of obedience uh, in the very early part of the book, uh, the letter, in chapter 1, verse 5. He says, We, the apostles, have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. So, by God's power, we are actually made obedient. And don't ever think in all this talk about uh, grace that grace doesn't have to do with making you obedient. Because grace wouldn't be grace if it's not setting you free from the destructive path of sin, would it? I mean, if a guy was in the water and he had been shipwrecked and he has oil and seaweed and all this stuff on him and he's surrounded by sharks, you don't get him out, clean him really good and throw him back in with the sharks. Yeah. The sharks are sin, okay? That's what's so destructive. That's, that's what brings alienation with one another and, and broken relation. It's sin. Obviously, if God's going to rescue us and save us, He has to save us from sinning. His name will be called Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. And so, His grace, thankfully, is given to us so that we can walk in new obedience. So he said earlier in chapter 6, Thanks be to God, verse 17, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He doesn't thank them. I'm just so thankful that you had the wisdom and the strength to do He thanks God. For what God did so that from the heart, you see, there's a passion, there's a desire in this. And what he calls in chapter 1, verse 5, the obedience of faith, that, that our, our trust in Christ issues in this kind of obedience because we trust this one with our lives because of what he's done for us, how he's died for us, how he's shown himself trustworthy we think of that great phrase, uh, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. To have you, to have you as the one who owns me and directs me and leads me and teaches me. One who died for me now to, to give my life up to him. And so along these lines, we can pray as well, Lord, you by your Spirit, have sanctified me, redefined me, and by the power of that Spirit, you will make me obedient. And so we're always, always putting ourselves in His hands, always uh, looking to 
this encouragement that it is not me, it is the mighty work of God. And you think of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit that moved on the waters of the earth in Genesis 1. This is the Spirit that we read in Scripture, gives life to all things on the earth. The next time you see a a horde of, I saw about 80,000 birds in this particular uh, area of the Arctic, you know, or you see these huge swarms of fish, and he's giving life to every one of those. The Spirit is. It's the Spirit of all life on the earth. He now dwells in your heart. That unlimited power is now making you obedient. That unlimited power has sanctified you. And so... This carefulness of being an instrument, the wonder of being an offering, the encouragement of the power of God. And finally, just mention this, the call to spread the gospel of God. Now, Paul had a unique calling as an apostle and a unique calling uh, uh, to show forth these signs and wonders that he mentions in verse 19. Because we read in uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says the signs and wonders and, and miracle, uh, miracles of an apostle, a true apostle, were demonstrated in my life. So for those in our days that say, hey, whatever Paul did, we can do, you say, no, because if that were the case, then everybody is an apostle. Everybody can speak from God. We don't need a Bible. We don't need anything. We all just speak from God because we're all apostles. No, these were unique signs and wonders that, and that, that, those words are used of Moses as well. That incredible salvation, that incredible entrance of God to redeem a people and create a people is now parallel in the gospel going forth to redeem a people and create a people. The signs and wonders which accompany the true word of God to verify that these men have come from God. Hebrews 2, chapter 4, uh, Hebrews 2, verse 4, talks about these signs and wonders and miracles by which God bore witness that these were the ones who spoke from Him. Um, and Acts 14.3 talks about signs and wonders that bore witness to his, the word of His grace. So to show that these were truly the men sent from God, truly the spokesmen giving us the truth of God, these signs and wonders accompanied them, even as the signs and wonders accompanied Moses to demonstrate that he was the one who was sent from God. But the fundamental uh, role of, of Paul is embodied, it's embodied in Paul, but it's the fundamental role of the church to make the gospel known to those who've never heard. We don't just look and say, well, that was what Paul did, but we don't do that. No, Paul embodied the ministry of the whole church as an apostle. He embodied what we're to be doing and that we're to be doing it, as he says in verse 18, Maybe we don't have the signs and wonders of an apostle, but by the power of the Spirit of God, by word and deed, by word and deed, inflamed and strengthened by the very power of the Holy Spirit, we are to see people increasingly come to know Jesus Christ. So that we can say, it can be said of us, What Christ has accomplished through me, Paul says, we need to be saying, Oh, Lord Jesus, what do you want to accomplish through us? 
What do you want to accomplish through us specifically as a church? Who are we to be ministering to individually? Each of us has a unique calling. Each of us has a unique set and structure of relationships. Each of us have a certain look of the word and deed that we will bring to the table, so to speak. Even as Paul's was unique, you know, in that way. But we all have this unique opportunity and privilege to be a part, to be for Christ to accomplish something through us so that we can have, as he says in verse 19, that I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. We need to fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ that's given to us as a church, as individuals. And and that's not something to run from. That's to to think, wait, wait, you, you mean I could be a part of that? You mean... I could be used as an instrument of God through natural conversations with people, through natural love and service and kindness to people around me and opportunities open up and I begin to share maybe my testimony or share what God means to me in natural ways to people or I have them into my home or have a, a coffee. or Yes, every one of us. Every one of us to see a ministry accomplished, to fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ as Paul had this very fulfillment of his ministry so that we can fulfill this text as well from Isaiah so that those who've never been told of him will see and those who've never heard will understand. How glorious as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, as he's talking about uh, his ministry, he says, our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. And that's encouraging that Paul himself recognized where his sufficiency was. And Paul himself knew that there was nothing in himself that he could do at all. And he says in another place in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So couple those two things to say, you know, I, I'm going to proclaim Christ by life, by my deeds, by my words, and make myself a servant of others. That, that's what... That's what Paul, he says, we proclaim ourselves as servants for the sake of Christ. A servant for the sake and glory of Jesus. And my sufficiency is all in him. My strength is all in him. The call, the call to spread the gospel of God. The most glorious call to be a part of the answer, the solution. To be a part of a foretaste of the kingdom of God. To be a sign of the kingdom of God, a foretaste of the kingdom of God, an announcement of the kingdom of God, the glory of God by our lives. Jesus said that we're to let our good work shine before people so that they may see our Father and glorify our Father who is in heaven. What an honor that Gentiles with that resume from chapter 1 are now not only offered up to God, holy, acceptable offering, but that's what God is pushing out to the world and saying, look at that. Look at what my grace can do. He's counting on us and knows that he will use us in that way. They will bring glory to my name. Those are Gentiles. 
they're going to bring glory to my name. That's the great privilege that we have as the people of God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, may we be careful in our love to one another. May we stand in wonder and awe and praise at what you've done to make us an offering. May we be so encouraged with the great, unlimited, boundless power of God that is working in us to make us obedient. And Lord, may we truly, gladly embrace this amazing call to Gentiles of all people to now be the glory of God in this world. Oh Lord, what have you made of us? May we embrace it with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?